Hey everyone, hope you're doing well. It is Holy Week, which means we are doing a five-part study of the Passion Narrative, and this is part one, the triumphant entry as told to us in Matthew 21. So we're going to study uh, Jesus coming into Jerusalem for the week of Passover and uh, take a look at what the Bible says and why it says what it says, and then we'll continue tomorrow with part two and all the way through the week until we get to the crucifixion on Friday. So thanks for making this part of your day. Hope you're doing well wherever you may be. So let's jump right into Matthew chapter 21, and we'll start with the first uh, first four verses. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them, a, send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Uh, so this is to fill, uh, fulfill a prophet, Zechariah. Zechariah said that, um, uh, or the next verse is, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. So that's Zechariah, I believe it's chapter 9, verse 9. Uh, so that's a prophecy that was foretold about the Messiah, that it would come riding on a donkey, gentle in riding on a donkey, which is different than when like kings would come to a new city, they would come on a horse because a horse said, if I'm coming on a horse, I'm coming for war, I'm coming to conquer, I'm coming to take over. But that's not how Jesus came. Jesus came gentle and riding on a donkey because a donkey symbolized peace, symbolized royalty, symbolized peace. I'm not coming to take over. I'm coming uh, in a gentle way, not an aggressive way. So when we see the difference between Jesus and other human rulers, we see the difference between peace and aggression. But it says this took place, place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. So why is it important that Jesus fulfills prophecy? I think it's an important question that we ask. Uh, we talk about the prophets all the time, and Jesus talks about fulfilling prophecy. Why? Why is that important? Well, the prophetic word tells us something is coming, right? It says something is coming, and here's how you know to expect it. And so the, they should have been, at the time, expecting a Messiah, right? And so uh, the prophets told them what to look for as they were expecting the Messiah to come. So Jesus would cut, Jesus came and Jesus said to, this was to fulfill a prophecy so that people could look and say, oh yeah, Jesus is doing the things that the prophet said that Jesus would do. So while he was alive, there were those benchmarks that say, oh yeah, Jesus is in line with what the prophets say they're gonna, he was supposed to do. But also afterwards, they prove as evidence to support that Jesus was the Messiah. So you look back and you say, well, what makes us think that Jesus was the Messiah other than him saying he was, other than him being able to do miracles, other than him dying and rising again? What is there that we can say that gives any evidence to support that he was the Messiah? Oh, well, let's look back through the Old Testament. Let's look at the prophets. Let's look at what the prophets said the Messiah would do. And then as we do that, we look and see, oh, yeah, we can check off that list. We can check off that list. Yeah, we can check off that. So basically, Jesus fulfills the prophets. And so it provides evidence to support that as we look back through time, we can say, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Jesus was the Messiah because he did all the things that the prophet said he was going to do, including riding in on a colt of a the foal of a donkey. Um, so 
That's why we have this great story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem in this way. Now the story continues, verses 8 through 11. And this was the reading uh, for worship this week for Palm Sunday. I don't know if you had a chance to hear it, uh, but this was part of the reading. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked who this was. The crowd's answers. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So uh, just uh, four verses, 8, 9, 10, 11, but a lot of stuff here. A lot of stuff here. So uh, first, you know, we see this courageous way that Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Jesus knows that he's coming to be arrested and executed and crucified and beaten and all that stuff. He doesn't sneak into Jerusalem. As we go through these Gospels, we know that the religious leaders, especially those in Jerusalem, they were after Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. And so when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, does he just sneak in? Does he sneak in so that nobody knows he's there so that he can do so safely? No. He comes in and has a parade. He has a parade and people shout his name. And basically there's no one in Jerusalem who's like, who hasn't heard that Jesus has come into the city. Oh, you mean that guy that the religious leaders don't like? That guy that everyone's looking for? That guy that they're going to arrest? He came into the city in that way? I mean, that's courage. That's Jesus saying, I know what I have ahead of me and I'm not afraid of it. I know what I have ahead of me. That's fine. And so as he's coming, people are spreading out their garments in front of him so that the, the colt can walk on garments. Well, where do we have this? We have this from, this is a reference to 2 Kings chapter 9, verse uh, 13 and, and beforehand, where Jehu is made king. Uh, so basically what happens is Jehu is told that he's going to be king, and, uh, and they say, well, what happened? And he said, well, uh, not that it was crazy. No, tell us what happened. And Jehu said, well, they told me that I was going to be made king. And so then they all take off their coats and they lay them on the ground for him to walk over. So to do that, I mean, it was one of recognition that Jehu, you are the king. It's, it's recognition and submission. I am going to support you as my king, right? You are my king and I am going to be loyal to you. So it's recognition, loyalty, support. By the laying out of the garments in front of Jesus, basically they are saying you are someone special because you don't just lay out garments in front of any, anybody, right? I mean, imagine walking down the street and just someone is walking uh, in the other direction. All of a sudden you stop and you just throw your coat down in front of them and say, please walk on my coat. I mean, that's that would be unheard of. You would, they would look at you like you were the strangest person alive. But that's what they did to, to signify respect and reverence and, and loyalty and support. Uh, and so, you know, we see this, um, we see this powerful display of, of, of loyalty. And then, right, a couple days later, they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So, I mean, most people are like, oh, it's so easy to say that it's the same people in the same two crowds. You know, the, the ones who shouted Hosanna on, on, on Sunday are shouting crucify him on Friday morning. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know if they're the same people in the crowd. But, but you can see how, how fickle the crowd is, right? And how, how the attitude towards Jesus changes. The people are no longer excited to have him in town because uh, they don't understand right? They don't understand what he's coming to do. They think he's coming to save them, save them from their 
present troubles as far as the troubles that the Romans are uh, putting upon them, oppressing them with. And just said, I'm, I'm not coming to, to stamp out Roman oppression, right? I've got bigger fish to fry, <laughs> right? I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm here to save you from other things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, just a quick note about palm branches and other branches, uh, you know, shaking, waving palms is, uh, it's part of a, a victory. It's a victory parade, right? It's uh, emblematic of victory and success goes back to Maccabees, 1st Maccabees 1351. Maccabees is a book that is not in our Bible, but it's in the Apocrypha. Uh, and so it's part of, uh, other denominational, uh, scriptures, but 1st Maccabees, 1st Maccabees 1351. On the 23rd day of the second month, in the year 171, the Jews entered the citadel with shouts of jubilation, waving of palm branches, the music of harps and cymbals and lyres, and the singing of hymns and canticles, because a great enemy of Israel had been destroyed. A great enemy of Israel had been destroyed. So they were waving palm branches as a way of celebrating, celebrating a victory. So, so two, two important things here. Uh, a great enemy is destroyed. When we talk about um, what Jesus did, Jesus certainly did uh, destroy or conquer or have victory over a great enemy. That great enemy was not Rome, however, as they were hoping for. That great enemy was Satan, sin, death, right? Sin, death, and the devil. That's Lutherans, that's what we say. Jesus overcame sin, death, and the devil. So three great enemies are destroyed, uh, but not the one the people wanted, Right, the people wanted Rome to be destroyed and Israel to be placed back on top uh, of the hierarchical world order, right, and uh, world power. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, "I know you all think that I'm here to 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 get rid of the Romans, but I'm not. I'm here to get rid of Satan, which is bigger, which is more important, which has a longer lasting impact on the rest of the world." Um, and so, you know, just to think. Of all the victories in your life, what has been the greatest victory to celebrate, and and how have you celebrated that? And what you know, what when you th- look back on life, your fondest memory of a victory, uh, what would you say? You know, th- that's what this is. This is a a victory parade, not the victory that they wanted, but without realizing it, it is a victory parade of the greatest victory of all time. Right? I think back to when I was a kid. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings winning the Stanley Cup or the Detroit Pistons winning the NBA championship or, you know, all these championships that a city can win and a whole city can celebrate together, right? The city can celebrate together because we're united in victory that the same team that we all support won. And so no one else got left out. That's, I think that's an important part of victory is that, you know, we do it together. We celebrate together. We are together in this victory. And in the victory of Jesus, we are together in that. That is something that all of humanity can celebrate. We can all celebrate the victory together, but not the victory that they were expecting, a bigger victory, a more important victory. And so they'd say, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. So this was a clearly a messianic title. The son of David was a title for the Messiah. Uh, and so they look to Jesus as the Messiah. And when they say Hosanna, what they mean is save now. That's what Hosanna means. Save us now. Save us. So, so they look to Jesus as the Messiah for salvation. However, they don't really understand what salvation means. They think Jesus is coming to save them from the Romans. And Jesus says, no, I'm sorry. That's not who I've come to defeat. They don't, <clears throat> excuse me. 
They don't understand what salvation means. To which I ask, do we understand what salvation means? When we hear you are saved, when we hear that Jesus offers salvation, do we only think of that in terms of heaven? Like, oh, well, I have salvation, so when I die, I'll go to heaven, so that's nice. But, you know, doesn't really change my life. Doesn't really do anything for me right now. Is that what we think salvation means? What do we think salvation means? I think it's an important question because how we answer that question defines how we live our life. I mean, this idea that that God sent Jesus to the world to die on a cross so that we might all be saved, um, which means we all get to go to heaven instead of hell. I mean, it's a good story, but God is God, right? God can surprise us all. God can say, you know what, when everyone dies, I'm just going to let them into heaven anyway, because heaven is an invitation-only party. God gets to decide who goes. And so, you know, we could die, we could live a life and die and and end up in heaven anyway, right? Because God is God and God gets to decide. But Jesus coming, coming to the world, um, dying for us in the way that he did, has certainly more to do with or as much to do with this life as it does the next, right? So salvation isn't just then uh, where we're going to spend eternity. Salvation uh, is an invitation into God's kingdom right now. Please come. The kingdom of God is near. Jesus would say this all the time. Come and join the kingdom. Well, what does that mean? It means salvation is near. Salvation is here. Be someone who is saved now, I mean, salvation from sin, death, and the devil is now. So live life now as someone who is saved by God, right? Uh, you know, it's the, the power of Jesus' death on the cross, the power of that sacrificial love isn't just so that we get to go to heaven, but it's so that we're transformed in this life. It's so that we, we, we do and be the people God created us to be. We do the things God created us to do. We love the way that God loves, right? We make the world a better reflection of God's will. And so, uh, you know, salvation is save me, you know, from hell, but also, you know, save me from the consequences of my sins. Save me from myself. Teach me how to live. Help me to be a better person. Help me to live in community. Help me to share this victory now. And so, you know, the salvation that Jesus has for us, it's more than just, well, when we die, it's for today and for the now. So, uh, and then finally they say, this is Jesus, the prophet, from Nazareth of Galilee. And most people would say, huh? Jesus came from where? Nazareth of Galilee? It would sound strange to everybody that a prophet would come from the city of Nazareth. I mean, that's just like an outpost. That's a that's a place you stop on the way to somewhere else if you end up going that direction. Otherwise, you never go through it. Nazareth isn't a big town. Nobody's from Nazareth. Nothing good's ever come from Nazareth, Right? Nazareth? No, I don't think so. I mean, we, I mean, certainly we could look around at states, cities, states, and countries and, and say, there's no way something good's going to come from there, right? You know, there, there's no way that a president is going to come from Romeo, Michigan, where I grew up. I mean, it's too small of a town. There's just no way. There's no way a president's going to be elected who went to Oakland University, where I went. No, they got to go to Yale or Harvard, right? Somewhere in the Ivy League. They, they have to have a Harvard MBA or a Harvard, you know, law school. And not Oakland University, right? 
I mean, so basically, it, we all understand this kind of prejudice where, no, you didn't grow up in the right place. You didn't have the right education. That's Jesus. Jesus is the guy who grew up in the wrong place. Jesus is the guy who doesn't have the right education. Jesus is the guy who didn't get the right ACT and SAT scores. Jesus is the guy who appears to be unqualified to be the Messiah, and yet he still is. So Hosanna to Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, a powerful story, a powerful story of Jesus entering into Holy Week, uh, Jesus entering into Jerusalem, not worried about who knows it. And uh, uh, and so then tomorrow we'll continue with the story about what happens next. Uh, so we'll close with a word of prayer. Uh, good and gracious God, we thank you that you've come for us. We thank you that you have uh, given yourself for us, uh, that you are with us now, and we pray for uh, your transformation and your salvation uh, to come into our lives and to change us, to help us be your people now, to live in your kingdom now, uh, to be loyal to you and your uh, reign now. Help us to be the people you created us to be. Help us to do the things you would have us do. Help us to say the things you would have us say. Help us to shine your light and uh, into the darkness and be there for people who need you the most and need us the most. Uh, we, we thank you for your grace and love, uh, and we pray that you would uh, continue to bless us and continue uh, to love us even when we don't deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining me today. I will see you tomorrow. Have a wonderful day.